0: Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Michael on Twitter. Hey, another fun show here. As promised, got a great guest lined up on the show. We got spring games galore, including the Florida Gators tonight. Kicking off their spring game, concluding the second spring under Billy Dapier. So a lot of fun here. We're going to have on the show, Nate Edwards from Rock M Nation. It's been a while since we have Nate on the show. He makes his video debut on the show. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, I thought it would be fun on this episode to just to kind of preview the upcoming spring games. What I'll have my eye on for all the teams kicking off here again, Tonight, Florida, and then Saturday, we are loaded up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven spring games all Saturday. So a loaded, loaded slate. Going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to try to do a, a recap Saturday night, immediate thoughts after watching seven spring games. I would do my best to break out the four TV setup I'm, I may have to do like I do on a, a Saturday action of SEC that's what uh, Saturday is going to call for. It's going to feel kind of like a fall Saturday. So, I can't wait. So, let's get right into it. Florida, again, kicking off 730 Eastern, 630 Central. None of these are televised aside from Georgia's. But uh, SEC ESPN Plus for the rest of these. What I'll be looking for from the Florida Gators, obviously, the quarterbacks. Graham Mertz, the transfer from Wisconsin. How does he look? Does he – you know, it, it depends on – what day it is, it seems like Mertz separates himself. And then some days they say not. And I don't think it's because Jack Miller is thriving. I think it's just maybe Graham Mertz not showing them everything they need to see down there in Billy Napier's offense. So that'll be critical. We'll see what Florida has at quarterback with Anthony Richardson moving on to the NFL. But I think more importantly for Florida's success next season is the offensive line with four or five starters off transfers coming in transfers coming out. How does this unit look? Because we got two of the best running backs, maybe the best pair of running backs in the SEC, Montreal Johnson, Travis ETN back for another season with the Gators. But you can have the best two running backs in the country. If you can't block for them, it won't matter and with, while you're breaking in a new quarterback, then obviously pass protection is a critical factor as well. So we will get the full answers here on Saturday in the spring game, but I want to see this offensive line. How's it coming together? They've got some great – got two offensive line coaches on staff under Billy Napier. How does this group look to exit the spring? And, of course, uh, the, you know the new defense under Austin Armstrong – That'll be a key takeaway. But specifically, I'll be looking at the defensive line. I think that's critical with transfers. Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks been hearing good things about that group. How does the Gators front seven match up against a retooled offensive line? You would I think if you want to see Florida take that next step on defense, you gotta hope that the defensive line is ahead of the offensive line. Will it? I don't know. Remains to be seen. And uh, ever since he's come out of the scene, 400-plus pounder Desmond Watson on the defensive line. Want to see how's he's looking in year two under Billy Napier? He made a, the big play against South Carolina with the famous photo. Love that. Just giving the old stiff arm to Spencer Rattler. So that'll be interesting to see. And one newcomer to keep your eye on. Florida's—they need some weapons to emerge. They've got some quality receivers. But no real game breakers, in my opinion. Andy Jean, true freshman, hearing great things about him. He's one to keep your eye on this tonight uh, during the Florida spring game. Now, how about Saturday's action? I'm just going to go in order of their scheduled kickoffs here. But Arkansas kicks things off here Saturday with the red and white game. Down there with a retooled roster, retooled coaching staff. This one is all about the defense for me. Under Travis Williams, how's this unit going to look? He did a great job for Central Florida. Now he's taking over for Barry Odom. How does this pass defense specifically, how do they look going up against K.J. Jefferson, who I think fans of this show already know, best quarterback in the SEC in my opinion. How does this group match up? Because K.J., and here, nothing but good things about him and Dan Eno's system. But with new receivers, new offensive playbook, if KJ Jefferson's is just destroying the secondary, I think we got major problems once again. It, it should be a little trade off here, I would think. I would think the defense maybe gets some on KJ, but I don't know. We'll find out Saturday. How about the defensive line? Sam Pittman's been talking up guys like Landon Jackson, Trajan Jeffcoat, John Morgan. I want to see these guys in action. Two of them transferred in. Landon Jackson, essentially a non-factor after transferring in from LSU last offseason. Is he the beast that he's made out to be? I want to see it Saturday here in the red and white game. And which receivers and tight ends look the part? Which players does it look like Dan Enos is taking a liking to immediately? KJ Jefferson, how's that rapport going with some of these transfers? That, I think, is going to be something else to keep your eye on. Saturday when Arkansas hits the field. Now, How about Mississippi State, a team we've not been able to hit on a ton. I keep hearing the Bulldog fans upset. Why the hell hurt you talking Mississippi State? I just not seen much coming out of there. I've, been, I've had my ears perked up to try to get any kind of nuggets I can out of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, but we'll see quite a bit of them on Saturday in the spring game. And for me, it's about Will Rogers fitting into this system. He's played his entire college career up to this point under Mike Leach. And then even in high school, the offensive system was based on Mike Leach's offense. So this is the first time since junior high, Will Rogers in a different offensive system. I'm fascinated to see what he looks like in this offense. And what will the role be for Mike Wright? Because their skill sets are so different. I mean, he couldn't be any more night and day. So I'm fascinated to see why they brought Mike Wright into this program. Do they want a quarterback that can run it more? Not saying that Will Rogers should be worried about his job because I, I think he's a top three, top four quarterback, probably top three quarterback in the SEC. So, just interested to see that dynamic in Kevin Barbe's offensive system. And speaking of the offense, they vowed to run the ball more. Will they commit to that here? Can they do it efficiently against one of the top linebacking cores in the SEC? Some experienced defensive linemen also returning for Mississippi State. You would anticipate Zach Arnett, his defensive system, a little bit more uh, advanced than the offense. But, hey, Saturday will tell the tale. But if there is one part of that Mississippi State defense that uh, the offense could potentially take advantage of, it's in the, the, the backfield, the safety. Th- three starting safeties gone from Mississippi State's defense. How do the new safeties look? And keep your eye on true freshmen, Isaac Smith, top safety, out of the state of Mississippi. I want to see how far along he is in just his first camp. I don't anticipate he's going to be a starter right away or anything, but he should play early in his Mississippi State career. He's that type of an athlete. All right, next, how about Tennessee? I mean, obviously, all Tennessee fans want to see Nico slinging the ball. Joe Milton, we know what we're getting from him already, but – All eyes, I think, are going to be on Nico every time he throws the ball. So I hope Josh Heupel lets him air it out, runs the up tempo, keeps Nico in there because obviously they're not going to be hitting him or anything like that. So might as well get him as many reps as you can in front of uh, that Neyland Stadium crowd. Very excited to see that. But how about the new offensive tackles? Replacing both there for Tennessee this offseason, Darnell Wright, Looks like he could play himself into the top half of the first round of the upcoming NFL draft. That's a huge hole to fill for this Tennessee offense. Bringing in some transfers. Campbell from Miami is look like he's going to cement himself as the next left tackle for Tennessee. But let's see. Let's see it against a Rodney Garner coach defensive line. Very fascinated to see how these, tight end, these offensive tackles hold up. You can throw the tight ends in there too which is a a position of some concern. Jacob Warren coming back, if not for that. I mean, this tight end group would be a complete question mark. And how about the pass defense? I mean, I I think that is something ever since that South Carolina game, you cannot talk about Tennessee's defense without mentioning the pass defense. How much further have they come along? Josh Heupel says they're they're better. They've got some freshmen here. I really want to see on the field Jordan Matthews, Ricky Gibson, Christian Conyer, and – they're essentially bringing everybody back, which not always a good thing, particularly when they got roasted here by the Gamecocks, but that added depth, that added talent, the competition. How does this unit look in a spring game? be fascinated to see. Next up, Ole Miss. They'll be playing in the Grove Bowl this Saturday. Has Jackson Dart asserted himself like we keep hearing down there? Uh, I mean, I, I would imagine that he is going to be far and away the better-looking quarterback of the trio. But maybe Spencer Sanders, Walker Howard, maybe they looked the part here on Saturday. So I'm not even calling this a competition anymore, at least not at this point in time. I am i think Jackson Dart's the man unless he loses this job. And I, that's hard to do in the offseason. But uh, I want to see how assertive Jackson Dart is year two in this offense. I don't anticipate we're going to get a ton of Judkins because there's really no need. He may play a series or two. I don't know. But otherwise, I would certainly circle him as well. Pete Golding, his impact on this defense. We'll see if it shows itself immediately or not. I I have a feeling they're going to play it pretty vanilla. But we already know what we're getting for Pete Golding, considering he's been in the SEC for a number of years. How far has this defense come along? Do they just get walloped by the offense? Certainly hope not. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, I want to see this defense – take some steps, and hopefully that's anchored by their new linebacker. Hearing great things about Monty Montgomery. He was arguably the top linebacker in the transfer portal. How does he look in this Ole Miss defense? Chris Marshall, the former five-star receiver, does he emerge for the offense? Those are kind of two transfers that I'll have my eye on Saturday in the Grove Bowl. Next up, Georgia. (laughs) I mean, there's not much that we can say other than the quarterbacks, but I'll go somewhere else first. Mike Bobo and this offense. How much does it change, if at all? I'm not suggesting they're going to blow it up by any means. I, I think that was part of the reason they promoted Mike Bobo to that offensive coordinator position. They, they didn't want to change things up too much, but I just want to see this offense, his fingerprints on it in this spring game working with new offensive tackles, new receivers, new quarterback, and a loaded running back room, which is all going to be t- – I mean, I can't imagine. This is the one spring game that is going to be televised. I believe it's ESPN2. Let me double-check it Yeah, ESPN2, Georgia's G-Day spring game. Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stuck, and all eyes are going to be on them. Kirby's going to get asked repeatedly about – all the, all these quarterbacks going head to head, and it's just a luxury to have three quality players like Georgia does at the game's most important position. So obviously, got to mention them, and I really want to see these transfer receivers: Dominic Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas. How do they fit into the Georgia scheme? Because that is maybe the one can't even call it a weakness, but one position that could have gotten stronger <laughs> from a defending national champions, two-time national champions. The receivers, aside from A.D. Mitchell, who's been banged up a lot in those two championship runs, they've just not had those dynamic receivers. Well, they may have them now in Lovett and Ra rah Thomas. So I want to see if they can showcase that Saturday in the G-Day spring game. Texas A M also holding their spring game here on Saturday, the maroon and white game again, kind of obvious, Bobby Petrino, what's his influence on this offense? It's just been god-awful to watch the offense from times when, you know, Devon Allchain was not being Superman down there. So how does the offense look? Connor Wigman, all the good things we're hearing there from the sophomore quarterback. Excited to see that. Want to see the true freshman, Reuben Owens, at running back. Can he be the next Devon Allchain? I think that's Asking too much of a true freshman, but they need a, a running back to emerge. They've got some depth, but they don't have that star player with Devon Hawchain off to the NFL. Does Owens flash that potential? Can he give you 10, 15 quality carries a game? I want to see that here on Saturday. And how about this defensive line? I want to see if they've taken that next step. Because if they have, I think Texas a and could be a legit contender to win the SEC West. You remember all those elite linemen they added last year? Many of them flashed. If they can take that next step, Texas A&M combining it with an elite, experienced secondary, Aggies may have one hell of a defense here. Now, last but not least, Saturday night, South Carolina, they'll be holding the Garnet and Black Spring game. Again, the theme of this show, it seems like, offensive coordinators will... Will their new systems look like under Dow Loggins and Spencer Rattler specifically running this offense? Been hearing so much buzz about the Gamecock offense. Want to see it in action under the lights. Should be one heck of a scene. To carry on Joyner at running back, I want to see what that's all about. How does he look in that role? Certainly sounds like he is a full-time running back now, which I'm sure they'll sprinkle in some trick plays for him, and he'll probably play a little bit of receiver or or at least – shift out to the slot, and things of that nature. But I want to see De'Carion Joiner in that role. And how about the tight ends? I, I really want to see them. we got three transfers in here, Trey Knox, Nick Elskis, Josh Simon. You remember in the bowl game, things were going good. We had Nate Evans, and that was it. <laughs> and the moment he suffered an injury, I mean, it basically stonewalled. It stalled the complete offense for the rest of the game. And, of course, they lost to Notre Dame. So we've got added depth. We've got added experience at that tight end position. How does Dow Loggins utilize those pieces in this offense? Very curious to watch that as well. Now, two team updates here before we get to our interview with Nate Edwards here. Jimbo Fisher met with the media on Wednesday leading up to the spring game. And here's something I didn't realize until recently. Texas A&M is... 10 under the scholarship limit right now. 74, 75 scholarship players. That's, uh, you know, and shout out Sam Kahn, a f- friend of the show from The Athletic. He did a deep dive here on the number of players that Jimbo has signed at a high school or the transfer portal that have finished their career in College Station. It is, it's abysmal. Now, I have not done the research to all the SEC teams. I'm going to do that next week when things slow down a little bit, but... Again, this info, this data comes from uh, Sam Kahn of the Athletic. I'll throw it up here on the screen. But here's a year by year breakdown of of each of Fisher's Texas A and M signing classes have shaken out. I mean, this is incredible. Of the hundred and thirty three signees slash transfers, so all one hundred thirty three players he's brought into the program, twelve. Finished at Texas a and I'll say that again. 133 additions. 12 finished at Texas A&M. Now, that number is skewed. Because this includes the 2022, 2021, 20 classes. And we're just going into 2023 here. But, I mean, 2018. He signed or brought in 24 players. Four finished at A&M. In 2019, 27 players brought in. Four finished at a and m again so we're talking 50 players 51 players excuse me and eight of them finished and again i've not done the research on the rest of the sec and where they rank i promise i'll do that sometime next week to to maybe put that those numbers in more context because without looking at the entire sec we don't know if that's low if that's high but i mean that sounds low as hell. So we are in a position here where we've we got about 10 scholarship spots here. And with the portal opening back up, I have to assume that Texas A&M is going to reach into that portal to add some depth. But Jimbo Fisher was asked about it. Here's his thoughts, including his philosophy on how he deals with the transfer portal.
1: I'm really excited about that group.
2: Are you are you at about 74 or 75 scholarships? Somewhere in there right, right now. And then what are the intentions? Do you plan to be at 85 or just wait? You're to never, I mean,
1: August? like I said, depending, we'll go into portal we'll see what goes on when the portal opens up Saturday. And we've got our eyes on guys and guys that are in the portal and things that go on, we'll be, we'll be very active in it and have been with some of the visits and the other guys coming in and we'll go where we got. But, you know, usually I hate to say that, like I said, the whole time at Florida State, the most we ever had was 81. Most we ever had was 81. We usually stayed between 78 to 80, 81, 82, and we would always, if guys we thought were really legit, and sometimes your walk-ons earned that earned those spots too. But if we go to 85, we'll go to 85. That depends on how that portal goes.
0: Second row, With, you mentioned the transfer portal opening up starting on Saturday. With your philosophy, is it just simple supply and demand of adding a player by losing a player at the same position? No, yeah, you, get, or the or it... you get the best players
1: you can get the best 85. Our our philosophy is get the best players on the field and create the most competition within your team, and the best players play. I mean, it's that simple. And, and also, fastest can they, you know, you know, when, they, when you get into the transfer report, you get into a lot of things. Do they fit you? Do you have? another thing is, how many experienced guys do you have at a position, or how many starters coming back? Because most guys that transfer, why are they transferring? They want to play. Well, if you got got guys that are playing and have returning starters, you have multiple returning starters, it makes it tough at different positions. and But you have to say, show them the opportunities that, you know, you can have more. You, the way you can get guys to the ball or the way packages on defense that you can be like a starter. Because you can be a starter and play just as many plays as a starter based off the different multiple packages you have and how you have to play. So, I mean, I think those things. And you need starters. You will need starters. You'll need guys that can, that can fill in and, and compete every day. And, and where you're at so and I think other thing you got transfer well you got also the academic parts of things when you get into transfers and guys haven't graduated or you have to get into majors of what your graduate students are when they're coming does your school accept that many hours and make them eligible do they get ineligible see that's a big factor that no one talks about some schools don't accept others I mean a lot of hours so if a guy's so far along in his degree and he has to be at 75 or 80 percent and your school doesn't accept that you can't take them I mean, there's, all, there's facets of that, too, that go into transfer portals that guys don't, people don't talk about, especially when you're a very high academic school, and A&M is a very good academic school. So, I mean, those, those are all facets that go into transfers and what you're trying to do.
0: It, it kind of sounds like they've got their eyes on a couple guys, but they're not just going to add to add. And I think that has more to do with uh, messing up your scholarship numbers in years to come. But couldn't hurt Texas A&M to add some experience at some key roles. And I anticipate they'll do that if they can. Now, how about uh, goals of the spring? I just thought those were some good comments from Jimbo Fisher. More football games are lost than are actually won. Here's Jimbo on, on what he tries to get done in the spring.
2: Jimbo, how do you measure success in the spring? And what has
1: it told you in the past about maybe what the fall could look like? Fundamentals. At the end of the day, more football games are lost than are won. And you got to be able to understand how to you know, get your alignments, your assignments, your techniques, and be understanding in your communications and giving yourself a chance to be successful and then let the talent take over and how you play. And I've been very pleased with the physicality, the energy on both sides. I'm talking about both sides. The practices have been really competitive, really physical, uh, very uh, energizing, as I say. It's never – I mean, it hasn't been the – you haven't had the – you'll go through spring. What I've been the happiest about, and we still got two today and tomorrow before we have the spring game, you start getting to the end sometimes those guys get banged, you get bruised, you have one of those – you know, sometimes you got to keep pushing them. You know what I mean? We haven't had that. We've had great energy in practice. And I think that's a a sign of leadership, maturity, and I think just energy and guys can competition. And I've been very pleased with that part of how we're going about our business. On – both sides of the ball i mean indian special teams guys have been very energetic in special teams and i think we've taken some good strides there too
0: and last one here if you're an a&m fan gonna love these comments connor wigman just having that right amount of confidence not arrogance that you see from some of these elite players and jimbo's been around some very elite players heisman trophy winners national champions here's jimbo on connor wigman
2: Can y'all draft teams? Nah, we probably won't this
1: year as much. Uh, Depending, we we possibly could, we're debating that right now, which way we want to go with that.
2: And then uh, Imani was talking about Connor for a little bit and and talking about how he kind of has the swag to him. He Mm -hmm. compared him to Johnny Manziel just from a... No, he ain't never met Johnny. How in the heck would he say that?
1: (laughs) 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 I'd say, I mean, that's a great thing from a confidence standpoint.
2: Yeah, but from a confidence and just how he carries himself, as a guy who's only been here for a year, coming into his sophomore year, is that pretty rare from what you've seen?
1: No. When you're when you're a good player and you feel good about yourself and you're confident in yourself, you you carry yourself that way. I mean, you carry yourself with confidence, not arrogance. And I think that's what he means. And and the good players that I've ever been around, the great and the great great ones, whatever you want to say, they believe in themselves and they carry themselves that way. Especially if you're the leader and you're you're snapping the ball every day. If you don't, there's not many people going to follow you. And but also they ain't going to follow if you're arrogant. I think he has a great mix of that he does a really good job of being confident and not arrogant. You know what I mean? And what he does and how he plays.
0: Brett. All right, last team update before we get to our interview here. Let's kick it on down to Lexington, where they have officially wrapped up spring football. No spring game because of uh, they're working on the, the indoor facility, working on putting the turf down in Kroger Field. But Mark Stoops was asked about his plans for the transfer portal kind Of an interesting answer because he, he essentially says, I don't think anyone will leave, but you never know. And he also notes, We got room to add, so it, I don't understand it. The roster's full, but they got room. I don't know. But here's Mark Stoops, it certainly sounds like they will be adding some players.
2: Mark, another portal window opens this weekend you anticipate more movement in coming and out coming at this
0: point not sure you know we we
2: have to look at that and we you know meet with our players and and uh you know it's definitely a different time I mean I don't anticipate it but it, it certainly uh wouldn't surprise me you know with a big big roster like we have you know so um we will see where that goes as far as coming in we have some room so we we'll, we'll uh, poke around and look around a little
0: bit. And the reason I really wanted to play that because I heard from someone this week close to Liam Cohen who noted that um, Kentucky's offensive coordinator may be not as thrilled with the players he inherited comparing them to the first time he was at Lexington. He, now, that that's not a shot at the quarterbacks or the receivers because I think they've got that. Ray Davis, of course. But I was told offensive line, Tight end, H-back, those are the positions to look at for the Kentucky Wildcats. So just keep that note in the back of your head there. But uh, no, I, I thought that was interesting. I've, Liam Cole's not been gone that long, and they've, they have upgraded at some positions. So I'm just sharing what I've been told. But maybe more importantly for Kentucky football, getting back to the brand of football, Mark Stoops is proud of to feature there in Lexington. They got away from it, clearly, last season, losing some tough games, including Vanderbilt, and, and just even in a lot of the non-conference games, kind of coasting through some of those. Here's Mark Stoops on getting back to the brand of football they love to play in Lexington.
3: When we first talked to you
1: in that, when spring practice was starting, you mentioned something about wanting to, maybe you got away from some things and you wanted to get back to some things. Did you done before? Do you feel like you did it in the spring? Did you accomplish what you want
2: to accomplish from that standpoint? Yeah, and that that, that could entail. That's a pretty broad st- statement, there. You know, um, so, um, yes. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't pin me down into a corner too <laughs> that, So can yeah, that. yeah, you could try. You could <laughs> try. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But um, yes, you know there's there's things. I mean, I was open about it. You know, I, I, I told you I just think overall mentality, whatever whatever you want to call it, however you define that. You know, that the hunger, the 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 way you go about your business with an attitude, with an edge, with a chip on your shoulder. You know, this game is meant to be played that way. You can't you know just roll out there and, and go through the motions. Uh, and um, I'm not saying our team did that all the time. You know, there's things we all can do better. We've all talked about those things. That's on all of us, starting with me all the way down. And that's not just lip service, that's the truth. You gotta look at every, you know, part of the organization and see where we're falling short. We've always done that in good times. You know, we try to continue to build on the good things we're doing and in the, in the areas where we feel like we're doing better, address it and get better. And, um, you know, there's several parts of that. And I think a mentality, in, in and in, in being physical uh, is is part of that.
0: All right, so hey, that's all the content I've got leading into this outstanding interview with Nate Edwards, Rock M Nation. Mizzou fans, you're gonna love this one, and I think the rest of the SEC, you'll get something out of this one. This is a great interview. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by the man himself nate edwards rock m nation love the podcast love the website go check it out covers the missouri tigers of course and uh, give him a follow at nate g edwards on the twitter machine and as you can you're about to find out video is now part of rock m nation's repertoire so uh nate thanks so much for making your video debut on the show (laughs)
3: Yes, Thanks for having me. It's been a while, and uh, yeah, we've made the jump to video, and it's nice to uh, have a fellow video conversationer uh, to have a talk about football. Let's do this.
0: All right. Well, hey, there's a lot of positive momentum uh, in Columbia based on the returning production that the Tigers have, hiring an offensive coordinator. There's options at quarterback. I want to ask you about all that, Nate, but before I do, I'm going to start on a little bit of a downer here because I... I just want to get your thoughts because you're much closer than I am to the Missouri program. But as I, as we sit here and in, you know, people around the SEC, it's only natural, Nate, to sit here and say, after three years, Eli Drinkowitz is 17 and 19 overall. He's 11 and 15 in SEC play. He's 0 and 2 in bowl games. Now that does include obviously COVID transfer portal, NIL, and an all SEC schedule in his debut. So we have to factor all that in, but at the same time, just look at Barry Odom in his four years. They're 25 and 25, 13 and 19 in SEC, 0 and 2 in bowl games. I mean, their, their resume is virtually identical. Is this what Missouri is, or have they hired two average coaches? Or I, I don't know. I, I know that's a lot of questions thrown at you, but how would you sum up uh, all that?
3: Accurate. <laughs> I'd say that's accurate. You can't argue with numbers, um, and of course, the thing Barry had going for him was he had that breakout 2018 year. You know, it had a great team, had an NFL quarterback, and Drew Locke. Yeah, they only went like you know nine and five, but like you, you could see that that team was so much better than what its record was. It was some really bad bounces away. So like Barry even had a feather in his cap, you know, beating a ranked Florida on the road. I think that's the thing with Eli. You know, the, the the question that we are asking ourselves, I mean, we can always rally around Eli Drinkwitz in this program. We can point to things that we like, but I think deep down we're all going, what is an Eli Drinkwitz program? What are, what are we getting here? And yeah, it is it is a basically a 500 record, uh, 0-2 in bowl games. We haven't won one since 2014. That was Gary Pinkle. We are hoping this is not it. We're all hoping this is not it. And I think we've had seasons in the SEC where we have shown, no, this isn't just it. You can grow a team, you can rally around a scheme, you can deploy those guys better than anybody else. You can get lucky a couple times, and you can end up in the SEC championship game. We have shown that is the case. So I don't think Missouri is that consistently. I also don't think you know where it's four and eight, five and seven. I don't. I don't think that's where we're at. Maybe we are a six win team. Maybe we are a seven win team, but. It would be a lot nicer if you had some marquee wins. If you won a postseason game every once in a while, we're getting some recruiting wins, which is great. And we are—we seem to be kind of the home for lost boys when it comes to blue-chippers who can't start in other SEC programs. Which, fine by me. But there is a lack of identity, and there's a lack of proof of concept, and. I think Eli Drinkwitz was able to answer one half of that with hiring Blake Baker and saying, all right, we are an aggressive, havoc focused defense, but boy, the shift heavy run first, second, and third offense is not really an identity you can build around in the SEC. So we're really hoping Kirby Moore is the second part of that answer where he brings an identity on the offense that even if it is the same style, there is a noticeable schematic difference. Some kind of attitude, some type of way that they play or some way that they attack defenses that goes, This is why you come to Mizzou. Because Eli Drinkwitz, other than the recruiting trail, he's not being able to bring it. So maybe we are six or seven wins every year, which there are worse things in the world to be. Uh, ask Vanderbilt, but like I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the potential here. And if Eli can't get past that this year then there might be a chance that we're trying to find someone who can unlock that potential.
0: And any chance, I mean, we could sit here in, in hypotheticals all day, but had they upset Georgia, do you think that would have changed the narrative around drink heading into this year? I think so. I mean, it's hard to ignore upsetting the national champs, which I right. mean,
3: even if they did lose to Missouri, they were going to win the national championship anyway. Um, So, yeah, very much like Missouri rallied around uh, the the defeat of LSU in 2020 during the COVID season. We beat the defending national champs on our home turf. We milked that win for as long as we could. There, that was a win that fan bases pointed back to during the 21 season losses and go, no, 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 no. See, he knows what he's doing. He just needs time. He needs players. He needs whatever. So, yeah, I think beating Georgia would have absolutely done that. Um, no, he didn't. And it's cool that Missouri was like the one team that played Georgia close last year. That doesn't count for a whole lot on the recruiting trail or on job security. Now the school has clearly invested in Drinkwitz. He got the raise. They expanded his salary pool for his assistants. They've given him facilities. They've given him basically everything that he wants. So there's no excuses on the athletic director side of what they need to do. They have delivered what he has asked for. Now it is completely on him, and whether. He does get some upsets this year. Or hell, just just win seven games. Uh, that's going to go a decent distance in separating himself from those what we will generously call building years of 2021-22. If he can get a winning record in year four with a team that, other than 11 dudes, is 100% his, fans and maybe even outsiders can start saying, okay, this is where he turns the corner. This is now an Eli Drinkwitz program. But if he can't do that... If he can't get a big upset or he can't get a winning record, then I think that stigma sticks with him. And that's why I think it's going to be tough to say, you know, keep him around, you know, whatever he does. If you can't get a winning record in year four, it's going to be a tough argument to to get him to stick around.
0: Well, reason for hope. Again, sorry to start on the negative, but there is a ton of optimism. to speak to a lot of Mizzou fans and they... Boy, when Bill Connolly put out his returning production, I mean, I'm, I got tagged on that about 20 times here because Missouri, number two in the entire SEC, number one, if you just look at their defense, which was outstanding last year considering uh, the, the overall talent they had to work with, um, does that lead you to believe you did an excellent breakdown on your Rock M Nation podcast, reason for optimism, but at the same time, just because you're returning production doesn't guarantee you anything, But there are are strong indications that when you do that, the win total rises. What's your anticipation that uh, Missouri can can do that and have a winning record this year?
3: Yeah, I hope it's true. Just because you return a lot does not mean it's going to improve. And, you know, Bill C is one of the first to say that. But you are way more likely to do so. Um, You know, if you look back, especially on that defense, everybody that they lost were, you know, backups, role players. Didn't really see a lot of time. You are, other than, you know, Martez Manuel, Isaiah McGuire, DJ Coleman. Obviously, you're going to miss those guys a lot. They had a lot of production, uh, especially on the havoc side. But, you know, really what it comes down to, at least what Bill's telling us this year, is that it's experience making tackles and being on the field. And Missouri returns a ton of that. Their strength in their defense last year was twofold. Number one, they'd blow you up, right? About 26% of the time, they're going to get some kind of havoc play. That's a tackle for loss. The pass broken up, interception sacks, all that sort of stuff. The second thing that was their strength was they had a lot of depth, especially on that defensive line. They could come at you in waves. And so, yes, you return a lot, but what is behind that? And the good news about a Blake Baker defense is that those havocy kind of plays, they come from everybody. Yes, there's going to be guys that are better at it than others, but everybody contributes in some way. So, the contribution level of last year's defense was high therefore the returning production is high you have some interesting pieces coming in travis johnson from florida joe moore from arizona uh, austin firestone out of northwestern plug in those gaps of the people that left hope that you can keep that depth if the depth and the havoc stand like they were last year and you know opposing offense coordinators can't uh, you know can't overcome even on tape what they see from blake baker's style Absolutely, this defense could be one of the best in the SEC. It's not like a Georgia or an Alabama that's going to stop you outright. It's a it's a ticking time bomb. It's going to make you go you know 20 yards back, 20 yards forward. But if they keep that habit consistent, it could be incredible. You can win a lot of games that way. The issue, and you talked about the options, that, that goes to the offensive side, right? Missouri returns almost everything on offense. None of those guys were all that great that was the problem last year. This is the first year that Eli Drink was doesn't lose his his leading rusher and both guys were fine. They're okay. Uh you have two quarterbacks who played last year. Brady Cook was injured for most of it. Jake Garcia was getting destroyed at Miami. Like, okay, experience good, production good. Are you any good though? That's the question. We don't know about Brady. He was he didn't have a shoulder for half the year. We don't know about Jake. He played in an offense that was basically just glorified hamburger. So, the options are are, are plenty but we don't know who's actually going to win and play. And that goes to the offensive line last year. You know, you we I came onto your show and you asked me, how do you feel about the offensive line? I said, I feel okay. We got lots of options. Mike, I think you know my team better than I do because you nailed it on the head. The offensive line was an absolute liability. They returned almost everybody who played, but who's going to play? We still have a 280-pound center who we still think is the center. That's not going to cut it. So it's a very interesting place to be in because they do return almost everything but how much of that works together how much of that can execute the scheme and for the love of god can somebody bulk up and run against an sec defensive line please like that's that's what we're looking for so defensively we're not worried we feel really good about that offensively it's a lot of questions and while there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of options to fill those spots because we don't have those answers that's what keeps gives us gas that's what keeps us up in the middle of the night
0: Well, you hit on the quarterback uh, competition how large does that loom over the entire thing because we give these quarterbacks too much credit we give them too much blame uh brady cook you, you know at times looked good at times looked like he didn't deserve to be a starting quarterback in the sec but i I don't even think that's fair to say because after the season, we come to find out he was injured all year. So how do you really evaluate him? Jake Garcia, I have no idea what they're getting out of him. And then, of course, Sam Horn, that's a a quarterback all fans want to see. He got dinged up during baseball. Uh, How critical is this competition to having a good season?
3: And you could say it's going to make or break Eli Drinkwitz's career at Mizzou. It's a fair point to make. He has yet to really figure out the quarterback position. You know, when he came in to Columbia in 2020, he started with he inherited Sean Robinson and Connor Bayslack. Started Sean the first two games, flipped to Connor, happened, you know, for the rest of the games, and then Connor had a busted knee for all 21 transferred away. So, like we never really had a situation where we feel good about quarterback under Eli Drinkwitz, and that was supposed to be his whole thing. So Brady Cook. I like Brady Cook. I'm probably more of a Brady Cook defender than most of the Missouri fan base. And I think once everyone found out he was injured, some of that went away. Some of the criticism went away, <clears throat> especially when you think about how how tough he was running into contact with one shoulder. Uh, but yeah, his strength was clearly running the ball. And his liability was trying to make plays through the passing game and when you can't throw the ball that makes a lot of sense. So we don't we still don't even really know what Brady Cook can do. We know he's an excellent runner. We knew that back from the bowl game in 21. But what can he do as a passer? We saw a little bit of that against Louisiana Tech, but come on, it was Louisiana Tech. What are you actually going to learn from that? So, <clears throat> he's been injured. He's he was out all spring. He did not practice in the spring. Jake Garcia comes in. Again, he had a horrible time last year in Coral Gables. We don't. You can't really take anything from what he did there and translate it to the SEC. We know he's got a rocket of an arm. Cool. Can he read defenses? Can he read SEC defenses? We're not that much of an upgrade on offensive line. How is he going to do there? He took a ton of sacks last year. Is that going to happen again? And then, yeah, Sam Horn busted your elbow, Bud. You know, like that. He was limited in spring too. So, if your options are a super mobile guy, a highly ranked blue chipper who just went through hell. And a blue chip prodigy who also injured himself in baseball, those are tough options. Now, you could say Jabari Johnson from Tacoma, Washington, but he's a freshman. He's still in Washington right now. No, not really an option. Eli Drinkwitz and Kirby Moore have to get this right. They have to get it right. And Eli has not really had to deal with quarterback injuries. Even going back to his Boise State days, it was just Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley the entire time. He did not have to juggle this sort of thing. He did not have to work hard at figuring this out, and yet here he is, and it's been a really interesting process. So I do, I'm i not going to vote. I don't see the practices. Uh, for me, my intuition would be whoever sticks with the guys, whoever can execute the game plan, who's got enough experience to guide you through the year.
1: Mm. If that's
3: Jake, if that's, if that's Brady, if it's Sam, I don't care. But they have to get this right because this offense has been lacking a quarterback an effective quarterback for three years. That can't be true for a fourth.
0: What are the early returns on uh, the, the offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore that you're hearing, because this is the first time Drake has ever hired an offensive coordinator play caller. Uh, I, I know he kind of seeded some of those duties apparently late in the year. And that's what I thought was their best offense. So, so clearly I think this is needed. Um, but And he's not the only one there's there's coaches around the SEC, Hugh Freeze, Jimbo Fisher doing the same thing. I think there's these coaches realize there's just so much on their plate. Adding this to it is uh, not always the best decision. What's the early returns you're hearing on Kirby Moore?
3: It's it's spring practice, so everyone's feeling pretty good about it. Um, (laughs) You know, from what we were able to hear. There's a lot of vertical passing, which great. We heard that the past couple springs, but it's always good to hear. a lot of shifts, a lot of motions, stuff that Eli Drinkwitz has done before. Really what we're looking for is the, the the game day manager, right? The wartime general. You can be great in practice. You can be great in peacetime. How are you when it's live fire? And, and what we saw from Kirby Moore in Fresno, he was very adaptable. He was willing to change scheme on the fly. He would always adapt to... The players he had at hand and he had to deal with a quarterback injury last year when jake hayner went down uh, and then logan fife came in they completely changed the way they played because logan fife was much more limited than than hayner was so so far i mean the players like the scheme they're hearing a lot of good things about you know his ability to to call plays and get and get into a good groove and figure out what's going to work he moved luther bird to the slot which uh, my co-host BK and I have been clamoring for uh, since last year. Uh, you know, Luther Burns the a slot guy, not an outside guy. Um, so we are hearing good things, but you always hear good things in the spring. What I'm really curious is how he calls a game. How does he manage all the players that he has? How does he deploy it on the field? And can he call a script that doesn't involve running on third and six every single time? Like, it can't. <laughs> we can't be doing that. We can't be doing that. And that's all Eli Drinkwitz wanted to do. So, I, I love Eli. What he's done for the program. I think he's done a great job with uh, you know lifting up the recruiting, getting the fan base excited. But yeah, the modern football coach, college football coach, you you, can't, you are more of a pitch man than a scheme guy, and you need to be out there pushing the program rather than pushing the books on the on the players. So, I hope and I think that this is going to give us a different set of eyes on how Missouri executes on offense. And hopefully we get some fresher ideas and some better execution instead of calling the same four plays 75% of the time.
0: Any uh, concern or uh, maybe that's not the right word, but you already referenced the offensive line, not quite living up to the expectations. Now, following spring we we've switched our coaches here we got uh Brandon Jones I believe is his name the new new offensive line coach who he has a solid resume not as an offensive uh, uh play caller but that's that's not what he's coming in here to do he's he's coming in to be an offensive line coach where he's got a lot better track record do you it's early and i this is probably an impossible question for you to answer but do you think that's an upgrade downgrade what's your thoughts on that
3: I'm going to view it as an upgrade until proven wrong <laughs> at this point. Um, Marcus Johnson, I love Marcus Johnson. I thought he he was able to do a lot with a little. And, you know, Barry Odom and his staff had this nasty habit of just recruiting the biggest dudes and then saying, we'll figure it out. And Marcus Johnson turned a lot of those guys into quality offensive lines for two years. Now, last year, I mean, kind of ran out. You, your talent was young. Uh, the guys who were left over were okay and then you had a bunch of injuries both to your uh to your right tackle, both right tackles and then surprise your 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 center that you were banking on was academically ineligible. so I think he did the best with what he had um but I understand that he gets to reset the clock if you will by going to Purdue uh, and then he's deals with a fan base who um you know, is new and and doesn't get mad at him if if something goes wrong. so I, I get that um as far as Jones, he was renowned as an offensive line coach. I think he was a little, seems like he was a little over his head as a coordinator, which that's fine. That happens, but he has a great reputation of turning out offensive lines. And, you know, we had the transfer from Eastern Michigan, uh, Marcellus Johnson, Vincy Polgar, the aforementioned academically ineligible center from last year. He is apparently going to be eligible this year. And, you know, Javon Foster is, is good college tackle. Xavier Delgado is a fine guard. He's a replacement level guard. And then, you know, at right guard, we lose Connor Wood, but Armand Mimbu, EJ and Doma Ogar, these are guys who flash potential and didn't really play all year, but when they were in, it was awesome. So there are options. We go back to the trap from last year. Michael, we have options. Uh, It's finding the right five, though. And we've already seen some of the effects of Brandon's coaching. We've had two guys enter the portal, like literally two days after Jones took over. Um, So I think he is figuring out who's going to work and who's not. He put out five offers like the day that he showed up on campus to offensive line transfers, uh, including Cameron uh, Johnson from from Houston, who's a highly regarded uh, transfer offensive lineman that, of course, everybody wants because he's big and he's good. Again, we feel good about it. He's been on the job for two weeks, so there's no way he could have screwed it up. Or there's a few ways he could have screwed it up, but he didn't do it. And we've seen the effects of this coaching. With already two guys leaving and a bunch of guys getting offered. So, at this point, you know, we feel good. But, again, what's it like when when we're in live fire? What do you actually trot out as your offensive line, your starting five? Do you have a sixth or seventh guy that you trust? It's all about that development and deploying the right five. And while I trust him to be the right hire and trust him to do the right thing, I got to have to see it to to actually believe it.
0: Well, good – Potentially good news, Texas A&M's uh, center just jumped into the portal. He was freshman, all SEC. Mm. Move him up to the hot board. So, so, I mean, you kind of just hit on this, but uh, I was going to ask you, transfer portal targets, it's, the window opens on Saturday. I anticipate Missouri will be active there. They've been active under drink. You, you've already hit on offensive line. Any other positions you could see Missouri target in this second portal window?
3: Yeah. Well, you're going to know the players a lot better than I do, but I can tell you what the needs are. You know, I, I would say that Missouri probably still needs one running back. Nothing against Cody Schrader, the FCS transfer from last year. Nothing against Nate Pete, the transfer from Stanford. Um, one was a very <laughs> uh, get you three yards, and no more. One was I'll get you 20 or nothing. I'd <laughs> like to find a little balance in between there because DeForest Jones, our blue chipper running back, great in small spurts, but you know he's only going to be a second-year player. It'd be nice to have maybe another option in the running back backfield. Certainly an offensive lineman. Ideally a center or a guy who can play center. Um, that would be really nice. You to have any guards out there, that'd be cool too, but center is going to be in the main focus there. Uh, Mizzou hosted a couple of defensive ends over the weekend. That's another place that you probably need another guy they took into already. I mentioned Austin Firestone and Joe Moore The third It's just you got Johnny Walker and Arden Walker, and then everybody else is a freshman behind them, like incoming freshmen. So it would be nice to have some beef out there, even if Darius Robinson, our former interior lineman who's bounced outside, even with him, it'd be nice to have another experienced edge rusher just to have that depth because depth, like I said, was one of the two strengths of last year's defense. Um, outside of running back, offensive line, t- uh, defensive end, I would say tight end, just because there's not a lot of experience there. But I'd rather address those three first before we start, you know, making tight end a priority, because there are five guys on the roster who could who can play it, uh, and tight end passing game has not really been a staple of the Drinkwitz offense since his days at NC State. So, um, I would list those four with with offensive linemen again, a center, being number one, edge rusher number two, running back third, and then if we can if we can swing in a tight end at fourth.
0: All right, last thing for you, Nate. I really appreciate all your time, but uh, not to circle back to the disastrous end to Barry Odom there, but I'm seeing some similarities in the schedule at least because I was the idiot, Nate. I think I picked Mizzou second. I may have even had him win in the East that year. And my main thing was it was a veteran team. The schedule was incredibly forgiving at least on paper and then they come out here and they what was it wyoming they lost to in the opening day of game so we don't have to talk about that but could you see missouri getting off to a five and oh four and one type start which would be incredible which i I would imagine that fan base would be going wild and i'll go over the schedule real quick just the initial games here south dakota at home i mean come on middle (laughs) tennessee at home should be another layup Kansas State, that's the tricky one, but you're getting it at home. A little bit of a revenge factor. They were great. I believe they won their the Big 12 last year, so mm-hmm. that's not a given by any means. Memphis in St. Louis at Vanderbilt leading up to LSU, which may be the best team in the West. So I'm not throwing LSU in there, but the first couple, first five games – at least four out of those five, you should win. So could you see a five and oh, four and one start here for the Missouri Tigers?
3: Absolutely. And it scares the hell out of me. (laughs) Like if it ever seems like Missouri is doing well, I'm like, all right. When's the rug going to get pulled out from under us? But seriously, this is, I love this schedule. This is how I would set it up, right? Because you you, you have a lot of incoming pieces and, and take some time to gel and Fall practices are good for that, but again, live games are better. So opening with an FCS opponent. If you have to play a Dakota, South Dakota heavy is the one you want to play. Okay, They they haven't won any national championships recently. That's great. Uh, No disrespect to the Jackrabbits. I don't know what they are. I Uh, think so. Coyotes, whatever. Whatever Midwestern, Northern critter out there. They're
0: going to be roadkill that day.
3: There you go. Uh, Start off with that. Okay, that's good. That should be a win. Middle Tennessee, I have a lot of respect for Rick Stock still. He's an institution. He's also a little bit past his prime. You should win that one at home, especially, and I don't know if you remember this, Barry Odom's first year on the job in 2016, he got railroaded by Middle Tennessee. So it would be nice to get some payback there. Uh, Kansas State, yeah, you don't want to be playing a conference champion in your third game. But they lose a lot, and I don't think Missouri is going to be sleepwalking into that game, if I can put it that way. not saying that they were last year. I think they were geeked up. They were just outmanned from from the gun,
0: Uh,
3: and that's also where Brady Cook hurt himself. So that is a toss-up. That's an early toss-up. I like Missouri's chances, but that's certainly not a guaranteed win. Memphis and St. Louis, yeah, let's do this, I'll be there, we'll win, and then Vandy on the road, well, Vandy on the road, that's where we lose, but Vandy is much improved, but I just, I like our defense. So, yeah, I'm going to sit here and say 5-0, and oh, and, man, I just, oh, it makes me uncomfortable, Mike. It makes me <laughs> It makes me feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, if I'm following the numbers and I'm following my analysis, a lot of things point to an up year these opponents that they're going against are coming off of either good years or rebuilding, or kind of in the in the sweller. And the way that we approach them, in the order that we approach them, it makes me feel good. So, yeah, five and zero start. What did I say on the show? I think I said five and zero start with a seven and five finish, something like that, uh, where you where you feel really good and maybe you're even ranked heading into week six uh, against LSU, and then it's just you know hold on with your thumbs and and just kind of white knuckle it to the end. I think that's, that's a definite possibility.
0: All right, Nate, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. Can you tell the audience before you go, where's the best place to find all your work?
3: Yeah, rockhamnation.com. Been there for many, many years. We'll be there for many years from now. Um, If you like my face for some reason or you like my voice, Rockham Radio, that's where you find your podcast. Uh, We'd love to have you. love for you to interact with us on our YouTube channel. Uh, rock nation content is, I think it's pretty great, but I'm also a biased source, Uh, but Hey, SEC Mike reads and listens to it too. So you should too. So check us out wherever rock nation is. We appreciate it.
0: All right. So just will say thanks to Nate for joining the show once again. And Hey, shout out, given that video debut, if you're not on YouTube already, right here's your next reason to do it. See what Nate looks like. (laughs) They just set up uh, the video. Feed there at Rock M Nation, so uh, happy to have Nate on the show and another outstanding interview. I really appreciate uh, the deep dive and, and having a little fun there with Nate. Just always a, a great conversation with him. But hey, that is all I got on this episode of the show. Enjoy the football tonight. Enjoy the football this weekend. Got one more show lined up to finish the work week I said, with another guest. And then don't forget Saturday, going to do a live feed breaking down these spring games my immediate thoughts on all seven of those bad boys so that's going to do it for this episode of the show we'll catch you on the next one